Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. For this episode 31, it's our big solar episode. We're going to devote the entire episode to talking about solar panels, solar charge controllers, DC, AC, everything you want to know, or maybe don't want to know, about how solar energy can help you keep your batteries going in your van. And most importantly, we'll tell you why you may not want to use solar. So, listen up. Hello folks, thanks for listening once again. Whether this is your first time or your 31st time, I'm happy to have you here. And I'm happy that you're letting me speak to you. (laughs) Solar. People keep asking about solar and how it works. And again, electricity is a scary thing for a lot of folks. It's something you can't see. People know about electric chairs and they think it's super dangerous. And I understand I, it's an invisible force in your van and you can't see if you screw up unless smoke comes out. So we're going to try to demystify all that today. So, um, but first we have to do a little bit of terminology and I know this can be dry, but I'm going to try to make it as interesting as possible. You've got in your van, most vans, almost all vans, what's called 12 volt DC power. Okay. What does all that mean? 12 is just a number. Okay. Whoop-de-doo. Volts is basically how fast the electricity goes. And then DC stands for direct current. And that means that the power flows from one point to another directly. The opposite of DC is AC, which is what you have in your house. That's alternating current. And that means that the power goes from one point to another point and then back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Both ways produce power. They can both light up light bulbs. They can both run motors. They can both do all those things. But for a lot of technical reasons I won't go into, DC is more practical in your van. And that's what you've got. As it happens, solar panels also produce DC, so that's kind of a nice thing too. When you use solar panels on a house, you have to convert all that power to AC in order to get it to work. But we don't have to do that in a van because it's already matched up that way, so that's good. All right, let's talk about three key words that you're going to encounter when you start looking at solar. The first is watts. A watt is a unit of power, it's a unit of work, technically, named after James Watt. What you need to know about watts is that the only time it matters when you're talking about solar is how big the panels are. That's it. That's all we're going to care about. A 50-watt panel will produce half as much power as a 100-watt panel under ideal circumstances. Little secret here, you're never going to have ideal circumstances. If you can get 75 watts out of a 100-watt panel, that's pretty good. So these numbers are just for comparison. You're not actually going to get that number unless you're in a miraculous circumstance at noon on the equator, probably in space. What about volts and amps? Well, it turns out that watts mathematically is just volts times amps. That's it. So you've got a 200-watt panel, right? What if your 200-watt panel was producing 20 volts? Well, then you would know that it was producing 20 volts at 10 amps, because 20 times 10 equals 200. It's that simple. The math is actually really easy here. You don't have to freak out about it. We're not going to be doing too much trigonometry or calculus or any of that. 
Okay, so volts and amps, what are these things? They seem to be used interchangeably, but they're not. Volts, in very simplistic terms, is how fast the electricity is going, and amps is how much electricity is going. So you can think of it like this. Again, for all you physicists listening to me, I know you're cringing, but remember what we're trying to do here is to have a simple way to think about this for van life. So you're familiar with a garden hose. Now, never mind those new fancy bullet hoses that ex expand. A plain old garden hose. Let's not get too fancy here. Plain old garden hose, okay? You know how you put your thumb over the end of the garden hose and you can adjust the pressure? I mean, water will be coming out, but if you put your thumb over the end, the water comes out and goes much farther? That's voltage. You're changing the voltage. You're changing the pressure. So you can think of voltage like that. The size of the hose, how big it is, like you can compare, say, a firefighter's hose to a garden hose. A firefighter's hose has much more capacity, much more amps. So the size of the hose is amps, and how fast the water is coming out is voltage. And these two things are totally related. At any rate, just know that that's what we're talking about with volts and amps. And if you don't understand that, it's fine, because it doesn't matter, because I'm about to make volts go away. <laughs> and here's how. We're all using 12-volt systems in our vans, with some exceptions. Some fancy folks like to use 24-volt systems or 48-volt systems. There are some reasons to do that, but most people aren't. So we're going to put those folks aside for now and say we're all using 12-volt systems, and thus we no longer care about voltage because it's a constant. We're all using 12-volt systems. So the only thing we care about is amps, and that's why you will see amps talked about all the time in van life. If you look at fuses, you will see that they are rated by amps. Now, that's actually not technically true. Every fuse has a voltage and an amp rating, but we really only care about the amp rating because the voltage isn't going to fluctuate that much. So a 10-amp fuse can handle twice as much power as a 5-amp fuse. And you want your fuse to be just above the maximum amount of power you're going to use because the idea of a fuse is to cut the circuit if you're using too much power. So you don't have a fire. That's all it is. Too much technical stuff. Hopefully that will help you understand a little bit though of what we're about to talk about. Watts is just how big the panel is basically. Amps is how much power it is using and fuses relate to amps as do this one last thing I'll throw at you. Bear with me just a little longer. The amp hour. And that is the number of amps a battery can produce over an hour. So if you have a 5-amp device, you want to run it for an hour, you need a 5-amp-hour battery. All right, all right, I'm sorry. I just had to slip in that little thing. We'll put that aside. Okay, all the technical stuff is being put away. We are now going to talk in practical terms. A solar system in your van is going to have three major components. Component number one, the solar panel. Component number two, the solar charge controller. And component number three, the battery. You need those three things in order to have a, a working solar system in your van. And of course, there's other stuff in there. You're going to have wires that are going to connect these things. You're going to have fuses for safety. And you're probably going to have a switch. But we'll get into that specifically. So starting at the top, looking at the solar panel. There are two basic types of solar panel. There are rigid solar panels, which are these, basically they're 
big pieces of glass in a frame. And it's tempered glass, and under that tempered glass is the layer of silicon, which is the mineral that actually produces the electricity from light. And under that, there's some epoxy. And then the other kind is a flexible solar panel. Just like the name, these are flexible. Now, they're not super flexible. You're not going to, like, roll them up into a ball or anything like that. But they're very thin and can contour themselves to the contours of your van. And they're something that stealth people like because you can put them right on the roof of your van and they're almost invisible. But there are pros and cons with these. With the rigid ones, the pros are that they're less expensive, they last longer, and they perform better under certain circumstances. Now, there's two types of rigid. There's mono and poly, monocrystalline, polycrystalline. For all intents and purposes, it really doesn't matter these days. It used to matter. Mono used to always be better. These days, it's about the same. So don't even worry about that. The frame has an advantage because it gives you something to attach to. So if you have a roof rack, you can bolt through the frame to the roof rack, or you can actually bolt through the roof if you have a metal roof. That's an advantage to those. Disadvantages for the rigid panels are because they are glass, they can break if you throw a rock at them, but they're actually really tough. I've never seen someone break one that hadn't fallen off the van. And they're also thicker. They're maybe three inches thick, so they do stick up and they are a lot less stealth. On my van, I have them hidden in between the roof racks, so they're a little bit hard to see, but they're much more noticeable. The flexible ones, because of their small size, a lot of people really like them, but they are more expensive and they've got two or three other problems. One is that they are more susceptible to heat. Now, it turns out that heat is the enemy of solar, even though that seems counterintuitive, right? Because solar panels obviously get hot. They're absorbing all this energy from the sun. But the hotter they get, the less electricity they can produce. You can actually get more power at certain times of day in the winter than you can in the summer, depending on where you are. Although you're going to get a lot more total power out of your panels in the summer than you are in the winter, simply because the sun is up longer. That heat can cause damage to the flexible solar panels, and a lot of people will recommend that you actually mount the flexible ones on a frame to let air go under them. And at that point, why not just get the rigid one to begin with? Mm. The other problem with the flexible ones is that the cables are the same size, and the cables are pretty thick. Solar panels come with what's called an MC4 cabling system. They're usually black cables. They look like cable TV wires, they're very thick and very stiff. Not, not very stiff, but they're pretty stiff. And they have these waterproof connectors. And they're very big. In a rigid solar panel, you can actually hide these things under the panel, but you can't do that with the flexible panels. So then you have these wires hanging around up there. Anyway, that's perhaps too much detail in the panels. For ballpark thinking, like how big panels you should get, more the better. But, you know, they take up space. My van, I have 200 watts of rigid solar panels on the roof of my NV200, a small van. So that's, you know, you can think of the roof as being a minivan size. I could fit another one, maybe even two more, if I took up the entire roof with solar panels. But that's about the max. So the max I could have on that is 400 watts. RVs, some people can have as much as 1,500 watts because they have those massive roofs. But what do you really need? Well, you'll have to make that decision. Any amount of solar is helpful, but 100 watts is the practical minimum for charging your batteries up enough to use them day after day, and then everything else is just a matter of space.
So you can think of it that way. They sell 10-watt panels, 50-watt panels. Those are usually used to like charge a cell phone or something like that, not the entirety of your van. Okay, from your panels, there are wires. If you have more than one panel up there like I do, they're wired to each other, and what you end up with is only two wires going into your van, a positive wire and a negative wire, and that's it. So that's nice. You're only ever going to have two wires going into your van. You can get them into your van either going through the rear taillight or drilling a hole in the roof of your van, which is what I did, and it's fine. Or you can install this thing called a gland, which is a kind of a waterproof connector that attaches to your roof and then goes through a hole that you drilled in your roof. That part's easy. And don't be afraid to cut those wires. You don't have to use the wires that came with it. Just use thick enough wires, which is usually 10 AWG wire, and you'll be fine. All right, the wire gets into your van. The next thing it's going to do is encounter a cutoff switch, usually on the positive side. You've got a negative wire and a positive wire. Usually you're going to have a cutoff switch on the positive side because remember, you can't turn off solar panels. There's no off switch. There's the sun and the panel and electricity, and that's it. It's very, very simple. So if you're ever going to do any work on your system and you want to turn off your solar panel, quote unquote, the only way to do it is to physically cover the panels with a carpet or a piece of cardboard or a blanket or something like that. And that's why most people install a switch. And it just turns off the positive, and that way all that electricity that's being produced can't actually get into the van. So you'll probably want that. And then you're going to want a fuse. You always want to have a fuse. And you want that fuse to be rated for a slightly more than the maximum number of amps that your panel is going to produce. You can do the math. If you have a 200-watt panel and it's doing 21 volts of power, a 10-amp fuse is going to be enough. Those wires go into your van and then into the charge controller. This is where the magic happens. Solar panels, it turns out, produce more volts than 12. While they aren't producing direct current, the number of volts they produce is dependent on how big the panel is. There's 21-volt systems, and then if you wire them in series versus parallel, you can actually up that voltage to 45 or even 50 or more. And how is that going to work in your 12-volt van? Well, the answer is the solar charge controller is going to figure all that out for you, so you don't have to worry about it. Two basic kinds of solar charge controllers. PWM and MPPT. I'm not going to talk about them in any depth, but the PWM is cheaper and perfectly fine for smaller systems. 50, 100, 200 watt systems, PWM is fine. It's going to do all you need. If you want a fancy system, if you want maximum amount of power, if you have a ton of batteries, you're going to camp in the winter a lot, an MPPT system is probably better. There's a big price difference and there's a big size difference. PWMs are actually as cheap as $10, although get a more expensive one. MPPTs start at a little less than 100 and then go up from there. Your charge controller has three sets of terminals on it, usually. Sometimes it's only two. You're going to have two wires going in from the solar panel, obviously. You're going to have two wires coming out for the battery. And then you're going to have another one called load that you may or may not have. Load is not what you hook your van's stuff to. It sounds like it is, but it isn't. What load is intended for is one small low-power device like a light or a fan or something like that. It's a device that the solar controller can actually turn on and off if it needed to. Solar panels are going to come through the roof, go to your charge controller. Wires are going to come from your charge controller, go to your batteries. And then everything in your van is going to go to the batteries. 
but probably not directly. You'll probably have a fuse block attached to the batteries or a bus bar or something like that, all properly fused. Remember, we're just talking about solar in this episode. I'm not going to do the entire electrical system here because it's just too much. But guess what? That's it. We're done. That's all there is to it. The solar charge controller is going to do all the magic for you. You don't have to worry about any settings or anything. You basically, you set the kind of battery you have in the charge controller and it does the rest because different batteries like to be charged in different ways. That's all there is to that. And so here's a few tips and tricks. If you have 200 watts of solar, you want to have probably 200 amp hours of battery. That's just a good rule of thumb. You want to match the watts of the solar panel to the amp hours of the battery. It just seems to be a good way to do it, but it's not essential. In my van, I've got 200 watts of solar and only 70 measly amp hours of battery. And I feel like I should change it, but do you know what? It works. I have all the power I need, so I'm not in any hurry to change it. When these batteries, these cheap Harbor Freight batteries I have die, yeah, then I'll replace it with something more. But right now I don't need to, so I'm not going to do it. Lithium batteries are a little different because they discharge differently. A 100 amp hour lead acid battery, and that includes AGM, gel, and flooded cell batteries, all the normal kinds of batteries, you really only want to discharge halfway. So if you have a 200 amp hour battery, you only want to use 100 amp hours of it. Lithium's different. Lithium, you can use about 85%. So with a lithium battery, which again is several hundred dollars, you're spending a lot of money on that lithium battery, you can have half. So if you have a 200 watt solar system, you could get away with the 100 amp hour lithium. It's just general guidelines, but if you're looking to price out a system, that's a good place to start. That's it. You now know all you need to know to install a solar system. It's that simple. Now that you have everything you need to know about a solar system, you have to ask yourself a very important question. Do you really want one of these things? The easiest way to answer this is, how are you going to use your van? If you were going to use your van the way I do, which is drive a lot, park for the night, drive a lot, park for the night, like that, you don't need a solar system. And the reason is that you can use your alternator to charge your battery in the back. If you're driving five hours a day, that's enough to charge the battery in the back. And you will do that with a device that's called a battery isolator. Now there's many different types of these. There's the very simple isolator that just separates the two so that you can't run down your starter battery, which would be bad. There's the voltage sensitive relay that actually does a little calculation about when to disconnect that connection. And then there's called a, a battery to battery charger that is really sophisticated and also really expensive. We're not talking about those devices this episode, but those might be all you need. And they're much less expensive than a solar system, much less expensive. And they're also completely ignorable. You just drive and they work. You don't have to do anything. If you are the type of person, however, who's going to go park and spend three or four days in the same spot, then maybe you want to have a solar panel because solar panels are always producing power, no matter what you're doing in the van. If you're swimming in the river, your solar panels producing power. If you're driving, your solar panels producing power. If you're sleeping at night, well, your solar panel's not producing any power unless you're somewhere super far north and the sun's still up, which seems unlikely, but hey, Alaska exists, so sure. And you can do what I do, or did, which is I have both. 
I have both. I have no power worries. No matter what I do, I will have charged batteries. And because I'm a freak, I actually have a whole backup battery system. So I'm in pretty good shape when it comes to batteries. Consider that. You don't have to have solar. And if you're doing stealth, boy, you're going to be a lot better off without it. Believe me. So let's switch gears and talk about something totally different. Last week I went to North Dakota and kind of explored and found things and I didn't have a big agenda. But one of the places I wanted to go was Fort Ransom, which is in the southeast corner of the state. Fort Ransom itself was a fort that only lasted about five years in the 1860s. And all that's left right now is the earthen wall and some of the cellar holes and stuff. It's still kind of interesting to check out. But what I want to talk about specifically is the town of Fort Ransom and the state park of Fort Ransom, all three of which are different things. I mean, they're all in the same general area, but the park isn't in the town and the fort isn't in the park or the town. They're just kind of lined up next to each other, which I think is interesting. Now, North Dakota, in that, that part of North Dakota anyway, is prairie. It's all flat. And Fort Ransom, the city, and the park are in a hole. <laughs> so if you imagine this big flat land and somebody dug out a hole, that's where the town is. And it's this cute little town with a lot of interesting Nordic history, some cool hotels, and some just unusual things to see. Uh, one of those things is a pyramid-shaped hill with a Viking on it, and the locals say that that hill was made by the native Indian population, and geologists say that it's just a glacial feature like everything else in the area. Hmm, I'll let you decide for yourself when you go visit it. The state park itself has lots of hiking trails. It has a giant Conestoga wagon you can sleep in with air conditioning. It also has yurts. If you ever wanted to sleep in a yurt, Fort Ransom might be your place. And it's a great state park where you can bring your horse. You just bring your horse, and they're ready for it, and then you can wander around uh, all the trails with the horse. has some spectacular scenery and views, lots of camping space for tents and RVs. I just parked in my van. And this farm, the Sune Farm, or the Sun Farm, depending on how you want to pronounce it, that has all kinds of demonstrations and, and big barns and lots of old equipment. Anyway... This was a great place to visit, and it's in a part of the country where people don't tend to make a destination. But if you're driving through southeastern North Dakota, absolutely plan to spend a night in Fort Ransom. There's also this amazing little pond called Mooringstone Pond that I, apparently was the water source for the fort. But the reason it's called Mooring Stone Pond is that nearby there are these big, big stones with holes drilled through them. And the locals thought that the Vikings actually made those to moor their ships that they brought up the river. I think that may be a little far-fetched, but it gives you an idea of all the, the interesting things that go on here. So again, that's Fort Ransom, and you can pick the fort, the state park, or the city to visit. They're all very interesting. And yes, it is a city, because North Dakota does not have towns. Every locale is a city, even if it has a population of two. Just a little tidbit I learned. Okay, a resource recommendation. If I have wet your appetite for solar and you want to learn more and you want to learn everything there is to learn about solar, I want you to check out a guy on YouTube by the name of Will Prowse. 
P-R-O-W-S-E. His channel is called DIY Solar Power with Will Prowse. And holy cow, this guy has this amazing ability to make things simple and then get incredibly detailed. So if you watch a few of his videos from the basics of how solar works all the way up to how to build your own batteries you will absolutely understand because he's very, very good at explaining things. He has videos on why you should get poly versus mono or vice versa, why some kinds of lithium batteries are better than others, and what you should want depending on what you want to do. And he he does it for vans and homes as well. He's not just restricted to vans. But definitely, 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 if you care about solar, check out Will Prowse, and I'll have a link in the show notes, of course. Okay, the answer to the quiz of when solar power was discovered was 1839. 1839. A 19-year-old figured it out. A Frenchman with the last name of Becquerel, B-E-C-Q-U-E-R-E-L, figured it So, thank you, Mr. Frenchman. We appreciate your efforts. So I know this episode's been weird. I talked a lot about solar. I've totally screwed up my format. I'm just going to throw in one last tidbit here. I just encountered this video. Um, actually, I, I ran into the guy on Facebook, and his name is Tim. And his name is Tim, and he has a, a YouTube channel called Van with Tim. Now, you know how I have said that it is impractical to have air conditioning in your van. It's not impossible you can spend a lot of money, buy a lot of solar panels and a lot of batteries and have air conditioning in your van. It is possible, but it's not practical. In many cases, your AC system would cost more than your van. But Tim here, Tim has done it in a way that I think is the most practical I've seen yet. He has a full-size Chevy van, and what he's done is covered the entire roof with solar panels. So he has a ton of solar. And then he has rigged up a bunch of different, totally different batteries. He's kind of just got this dog's breakfast of a battery bank in there, but it works. And then he did something super clever. He took an inexpensive window air conditioning unit made by Toshiba, one that has a very low draw. It doesn't use that many amps. And mounted it inside the van it does not stick out of the van. Now, a lot of times you might see people stick these out the back window or something like that. No, 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 no. He mounted it on the floor of his van and then cut a big honking hole in the side of his van, put a grate over it, and then cut another big hole in the bottom of the van to let fresh air come in and covered it all with cabinets. So the finished effect is that he has all his cabinets and then at the front of one of the cabinets, down on the floor, there's an air conditioner. And it works, and he can have air conditioning all day long. As long as there's decent sun, he's got air conditioning. Now, you just listened to the solar episode, you know that solar is just really to charge your batteries. You're not running anything directly off of solar. But the effect is that once your battery is fully charged, that solar power is going to pass right through and go to whatever you're running. So in a sense, yes, you are running that air conditioner directly off of the solar. Now at night, of course, there's no sun, so he has to use the power that's in his battery banks to power this thing. And according to what he says, and he, I think he said he has about 300 amp hours of 
battery power, he can leave his air conditioner on 72 degrees and stay cool all night long. Which I have to tell you, that sounds really good to me because my little van can be rather uncomfortable if it's above 80 outside at night. So, check out his channel. The specific video that shows how it works is called Van Life Solar AC Setup Totally Off Grid. And the name of the channel is Van with Tim. It's brand new and I will have links in the show notes, of course. But I'm kind of excited about it. I think there actually may be hope that all of us will have air conditioners in our van someday. Tales from the Road. All right, a little quick tale to end things off here. One of the reasons I wanted to go to North Dakota was that there is this thing near Fort Ransom called the Writing Rock. Now, I kind of like petroglyphs. It's a kind of a connection between you and the past, you know? You're looking at something someone else wrote thousands of years ago, and I, I try to visit them whenever I can. And some of them are controversial, especially when it comes to Nordic places, because there's a history of people creating fake rune stones. And maybe this is one. So this stone is weird. It's a, it's a flat stone that's like a table, and it has these lines carved into it, thick lines, but it kind of looks like music, like almost somebody was trying to create music. And there have been many interpretations over the years. Some people say it was just glacial striations. The glaciers, you know, cut this in there. And some say they can see the shapes of animals and things. But there's a big sign at the fort in Fort Ransom that says, just over the hill, there is the writing rock, and it has been known to European descendants since the 1830s. But it doesn't tell you where the rock is. But I'm like, well, it's just over the hill, right? So I should be able to find it. I'll tell you, I spent two hours driving around in circles, looking on Google Maps, taking my van where it was never supposed to go, and I never found the rock. It kills me. This tale does not have a happy ending. I drove a thousand miles or so, whatever it was, to try to get to this rock. And apparently it's on private property. And you can find references to this writing rock, but you can't actually go visit it uh, any way that I know of. I don't know who owns it. I don't know where it is. I don't know how you get to it. I have some pictures of it that show a big thing that says writing rock. And the rock itself but I can't see it. So sometimes your tales don't turn out the way you want them to. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this very unusual episode. I hope those of you with questions about solar have a lot of them answered now. And if not, ignore me and go check out Will Prouse on YouTube. He is the real expert. Music is always is by Simon Wag, AKA Sir Mouge. And until next week, remember, Sometimes not finding what you're looking for just gives you an opportunity to look for it again.